0: Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to uh, take it out and look at Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 18, and we will be looking at a couple of uh, uh, passages there in Matthew 18 in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to uh, um, I invite you to join me in prayer as we ask God to just continue to be with us as we worship together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want to uh, thank you for being here with your people. Thank you that uh, this day is not about uh, an audience and a performance, but this day is about giving worship to you. And so, Lord, whoever we are, and wherever we are, and whenever we are, we worship you. And we thank you for that gift, that joy of being able to pour back to you uh, an expression of praise and thanks for all that you have done, all who you are. And so, Lord, help us to worship you by listening to your word today, by being attentive to your spirit, by being open to new places of obedience. We give our lives to you, all that we are, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Before we uh, look at the primary uh, text for today, I want to uh, just sort of set our listening context a little bit. The first Uh, Passage that I want to use is from Colossians two. In Colossians, we read these words from Paul: "said You were dead uh, because of your sins, and because of your because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You were dead," he says, "and then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all of your sins." How does, how does becoming alive in Christ work? Because he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So this image of forgiveness. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, he goes one more step. He says, now, sort of let all of that in. Let the, let in that sense of all that all that, that God has done for you by forgiving you and nailing your debt to the cross. And then in Ephesians 4, he says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. How have you been forgiven? That's how you should forgive other people. And uh, both of those uh, New Testament teachings from Paul uh, bring right to the forefront this idea that forgiveness in forgiving others is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Forgiveness is right at the very heart of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. So this theme of of forgiveness isn't some peripheral thing, it's not something that we dabble in once in a while, but the theme of forgiveness is right at the very center of the gospel, and often it's right at the very center of our lives as well. When when we think of all of the things uh, that we have to wrestle with, all of the things that take our time and energy and attention, uh, uh, so many times uh, those issues are around questions of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a place that theology becomes very personal and very practical, very quickly. Uh, to live as a human being means that there are going to be times uh, when we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're wronged by other people. That's what it means to be a human being. Uh, maybe uh, there's been an assault on your reputation, or maybe uh, there's an assault on your physical person. Uh, maybe there's a promise that was broken to you, maybe there's a trust. That was betrayed, or maybe your person was violated, maybe there is a sting of, of rejection, maybe there is the pain of abuse or betrayal. There are so many ways, so many occasions that we're hurt by and in turn hurt one another. One friend of mine says that we go through life as wounded wounders. In those moments when we are uh, vulnerable and hurting, and angry. They give rise to some of the most important questions about how it is that we can go forward in human relationships. Is forgiveness a requirement? Am I really required to forgive people? Is it possible to forgive and to forget? Is it really possible to to take a wound or a hurt and just set it behind me? Is, and if, even if it was possible, would it be wise to do that? Is forgiving uh, excusing or ignoring the wrong? When do I forgive? Do I forgive only after somebody apologizes to me or only if there's remorse or only if somebody asks for forgiveness? Uh, Do I forgive if somebody hurts me, not just once, but hurts me over and over and over and over again? Do, Do I still have to forgive them? Is it still appropriate to forgive them? Is it still wise and good to forgive them? Is it human to forgive? When it comes to forgiveness, are we longing for more than we might be able to achieve? Or are we settling less for less than is possible? There's lots of places that we can go to help us sort out our answer to questions like that. We can go to a whole array of fields of study. We can uh, look to the philosophers and inquire uh, in the books of philosophy. We can look to psychology, uh, especially in the last decade or so. The the interest in the field of psychology uh, in the topic of forgiveness just skyrocketed. Uh, we can go to communication theory. We can go to the fields of uh, world religion. We can go to sociology. we can go to all sorts of different fields of study, and bring our questions about forgiveness. Uh, and while we can learn from all of those fields, our focus this morning will be from the perspective of the Christian faith. And as we come together today, we want to ask ourselves, what does the scripture have to say about forgiveness? How does the scripture, how does the Bible answer our questions about forgiveness? And uh, as we come to the Bible, um, and as we explore sort of the treasury of teachings about forgiveness that we find here, there's something that you're going to have to know about how this book works when it comes to forgiveness. And more often than not, it will frustrate you. Because more often than not, uh, the Bible is not going to give you a, a, a recipe or a definition for how you have to go about forgiving people. Rather, it's just simply going to describe it will just give you pictures and images and metaphors of forgiveness in action. We see it as it's worked out. And our text this morning is uh, an example of that. The text this morning gives us a, a metaphor of debt. Of indebtedness. And it, it picks up on a common uh, picture from the New Testament, uh, the one that Paul was using earlier, the text that we opened with, uh, talking about our debts being forgiven. Uh, here's a story, uh, sometimes called the story of the unforgiving debtor. Let me read this story to you. Then Peter came to, to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall we forgive someone who sins against us? Uh, seven times? And Jesus says, No. Uh, 70 times seven. And then he says this, for this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he sold, uh, everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, oh sir, be patient with me and I will pay it all. And then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him. And here it is, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him, and begged for a little more time. Be patient, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. Yet the man arrested and jailed until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him what had happened. Then the king called him, the man he had forgiven, and said, You evil servant, I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison until he had paid every penny. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. The man who uh, owes this uh, tremendous debt, uh, if you were to look at the original language of the story, is actually said to owe a debt that is numberless. Uh, The Greek term that Jesus uses when he tells that story is myrios, And it gives us our English word, myriad. Uh, And the point is, uh, not so much that the debt is very, very, very large, but that the debt is numberless. The debt is infinite. Uh, It's impossible. It's not just a big debt. It's an impossible debt. And that's the starting point for Jesus' teaching about forgiveness, that there is an impossibly large debt that is owed. And of course, the point is that each one of us stands before God owing just such a debt. Our sin debt to God is out of control. It's absolutely out of control. It's astronomical. It's shocking. It's scandalous. That when the Bible talks about our sin debt to God, uh, it's talking about a debt that's not just big, but it's impossibly big, and it cannot be paid off. And given that debt... We do what this man in the parable has attempted to do. Did you notice? He equivocates, he minimizes, he rationalizes, he promises that he'll get to work on paying off the debt if only he's given sufficient time. But this sleight of hand doesn't fool the king. What this man needs is not a payment plan. His only hope is forgiveness. He needs a miracle, really. Paul uses the language of miracle when he's describing the forgiveness that we receive. When he says, you were dead. You were dead. You were gone. But now you're alive again because of this miracle of forgiveness. And that's precisely the miracle that we see happen in the story. It's this surprising moment in the parable when forgiveness is offered. The word forgiveness is just a shocking turn of development in the story. The master offers forgiveness to his servant. And it's not in response to his remorse, it's not in response to his repenting. Uh, The man doesn't ask for forgiveness. The reality is that he receives far more than he asks for. He asks for time, and instead he's given freedom. And it turns out he's given far more than maybe he understands. And I wonder if that's possible for us today. I wonder if it's possible that as we sit here this morning, we don't fully understand the miracle of forgiveness that we've received. The debt that has been paid for us. The word forgiveness is an utter surprise in the story. Now, there's no reason for it. There's no anticipation of it other than the reason that is hidden in the heart of the king. And that's exactly the position that we find ourselves in before God. God forgives the debt of our sin. It isn't that he offers you a payment plan. It isn't that he says, here are some steps that you can take to begin to work off the debt that you owe to me. He doesn't say, be good, try hard, live, up, be nice, be a little bit better than the people around you. He doesn't give us a loan, pay me back when you can, not even a low interest loan. He doesn't say, Let me just give you a little bit of help. Let me get you started. Here's a few bucks that you can can use towards your, your, your debt. He doesn't do any of those things. He erases it altogether. He erases it. He removes the debt. Just let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in. You are free, you're forgiven. All that you've ever done, all that you are currently doing and all that you will ever do, it's all forgiven. To use Paul's language, you have been made alive again. And then the next scene in the story offers this jarring juxtaposition. This man who just moments ago was forgiven an impossible debt now finds a fellow servant who owes him a debt. And in this case, the debt is significant, but it's smaller. It still is a significant debt, but it's a smaller debt. The original text says that this debt is about a hundred denarii. Now, a a denarius was about a day's wage. So if you had a debt that was 100 denarii, it would be um, like several months' worth of your wages. Um, Some of us here may have debts like that. Maybe you have a debt on credit cards like that. Maybe you have some student loans like that. Maybe you have a car loan like that. Uh, Maybe uh, you have a mortgage payment like that. The point is not in the story, the point is not, and, and the Bible never, ever, ever says that the debts that we owe to one another are trivial or the, 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 the harm that we do to each other doesn't really matter or, or isn't important. It is important. It is significant. It is costly. The hurt and the damage that we inflict on one another and that we receive from others is very real, it registers. The point is not that it is insignificant or trivial. The point is that the debt that we are owed to one another pale in comparison to the debt that we've been forgiven. You know, if this man's story, the servant-to-servant story, uh, wasn't told this way and in this context and at this time, uh, you would be pretty easygoing on this guy. Uh, you wouldn't be so likely to judge or to be scandalized by his actions. He really is all the money. It's a legitimate debt. It really is his right to collect that debt. He really can. He's within the law. He's operating under the norms and, and customs of his day. He hasn't done anything wrong. Nothing illegal. Even the harshness given the size of the debt, is proportionate. There's nothing wrong with demanding what is rightly or justly or legally mine. You wouldn't fault him for that at all, just seen on its own. But when those actions are suddenly seen in light of God's forgiveness, of God's graciousness, of God's life-giving forgiveness... They take on an entirely different tone and feel, don't they? How is it possible, we say, that somebody who has been forgiven so much cannot now somehow find it in them to express forgiveness? Somebody who has been set free, how can they not, in turn, set somebody else free? And this, if you're wondering that, is exactly Jesus' point. Because this little parable that Jesus tells is in response to Peter's question about forgiveness. Right, Peter comes to Jesus one day and says, so Lord, uh, and and Peter thinks he's about to get a a gold star by his name. He says, so Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive people? And And then this is the gold star moment. He says, seven times? And Peter thinks this is making him sound really good. Right, Peter. Peter uh, knows somehow that forgiveness has been an important theme in Jesus' life and teaching and ministry. That Jesus talks about forgiveness. That he enacts forgiveness. So Peter knows that forgiveness is maybe important to Jesus, and maybe even more important to Jesus than than to, to other rabbis. Other rabbis in Jesus' day would have been teaching about forgiveness. And you could easily find a rabbi who would say something like, you're required before God to forgive people three times. Forgive them once, forgive them twice, forgive them three times, and if they offend you a fourth time, you're off the hook, you no longer have to forgive. Three times is one. Peter, gold star student Peter, knows that forgiveness is important to Jesus, and he doubles it. And he attacks on one more. Seven times? This is more than twice the nearest competitor. Do I have to forgive seven times? And Jesus comes back with this story. It's a story that replaces the transactional nature of forgiveness with one that puts it within a story, an experience, a heart change. being forgiven. See, Jesus doesn't count. Jesus doesn't count and keep score when it comes to forgiveness. And he says to Peter, I don't want you to count and keep score either. It isn't about one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out, or even seven strikes and you're out. But rather, it's about a change of heart. It's a change of posture, it's a a, a change of spirit that can only happen when you have encountered the forgiving, life-giving spirit of God. We don't talk about techniques of forgiveness or practices of forgiveness or methods of forgiveness. Before we do any of that, we have to recognize that forgiveness comes from our own heart, in our own heart that has been moved and pierced and overcome God's own forgiveness towards me. In other words, God's forgiveness must be allowed to impact us and to shape us. One writer put it this way, if we go through life acting as if it never happened, it puts into question whether it happened. I was uh, in a conversation this past week with somebody who said, You know, God has just really been dealing with my heart. That as uh, we got into this uh, polarized and challenging season, uh, as uh, more and more people have been divided, more and more people are against one another and against everything. uh, He said, "You know, I found that I was I was hating people. There were people in my life that, if I was honest with you, I hated them in my heart." And I took that to God. And he said, I can only tell you that what I couldn't do, God did. He said, somehow, in some way, God has changed my heart. God has been dealing with that hatred that's in my heart. God's healed that hatred in my heart. He said, I can honestly tell you now that I have love in my heart for people that I won't take. And God did. That's the kind of heart change that happens when we allow our lives to be impacted by the grace that God has for us. The force of the story that Jesus tells is to allow God's mercy to shape you into a merciful person. It's to allow God's grace to shape you into a a gracious person. To allow God's love form you into a loving person, to allow God's forgiveness to shape you into a forgiving person. It's a story of forgiveness that's all about grace and mercy that is freeing from hurt and hatred and anger. Just enough so that I can catch a glimpse of what could be. What could be possible. You see that the the picture of what could be possible expands when I realize what God has done in me. When God forgives me, he is creating for me a new future a new possibility of relationship with Him, a new intimacy with Him that isn't about transactions and payment plans. It's about hiding in shame. It's simply about standing before God, free and forgiven. And when that experience becomes my experience, And I can also begin to imagine the possibilities for the relationships around me, the wounded wounders who have impacted my life, and the possibility of new relationships, new options beyond retaliation or retribution or estrangement begin to emerge. And I become the kind of person that can walk towards freedom, and maybe reconciliation, and maybe new life, and maybe even love. Would you let God's grace shape you in that way today? Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks for the forgiveness that you have shown to us is beyond our capacity to imagine. Thank you for new life and freedom from debt. Or as we sit here this morning, uh, chances are that we can uh, scan the relationships of our life when we know that there are people that have wounded us, that have disappointed us, that have hurt us. sometimes in significant ways, and we carry legitimate hurt. We carry real pain. Lord, we bring that before you, the only source of healing, the only place where we can be made whole. And Lord, as we're reconciled in you, was to find the space and the grace to be forgiving people and to set somebody free today. Lord, we surrender